Welcome to the DC Beer Show, everybody. Hot weather, hot takes. We are DC Beer across social media. I am Jake, and we're going to turn it over immediately to Brandy. Brandy, what are you drinking? Hi, Jake. Hi, Mike. Hi, DC Beer fam. Apologies for my voice. <laughs> Been a little under the weather. It's not Delta. It better not be Delta. So I am drinking Oma, which is a beer I haven't had before. Actually, I lied. I drank one yesterday, but it's Photo-aged German-style Pilsner, and it's clocks in right at five. It's fucking delicious, actually. But it's from Benchtop Brewery, which I just had to... So apologies to Benchtop, but I want to come check your stuff out now because it's delicious. But I had to Google where it was because I got this from Erica at Craft Beer Cellar. And I saw Pilsner. I was like, whoa! So I grabbed it. It's really, really good. So hella shout-out to Benchtop. I need to make a trip out to Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Mike, what are you drinking over there? I am drinking the classic Allagash White. Um, mm. It's not flagship February, but I saw this in a Walgreens in Arlington, Virginia, and a 12-pack was like 15 bucks. So I was like, I will absolutely pay a dollar and three cents per can of Allagash <laughs> White. <laughs> if I was on H Street, this would be like 10 bucks a can. And so... Good, good on you. <laughs> right? You know, that that was my justification. So Allagash recently brewed a collaborative beer with Sankofa, our first entirely whoop, whoop. black-owned, whoop, whoop, shout out to Kofi Mero and Amit Okarski. Um, Sankofa brewed a beer with Allagash. Kofi went up to Maine to brew with Allagash, so I figured I should support them as they support our DC breweries. But I'm about to open this Joyhound beer company, JJ Sour. So Joyhound is a newer company, also a black-owned brewery out of Baltimore. And this golden kettle sour has lavender and orange peel. So I am intrigued by that. Jake Berg, what are you drinking? <laughs> As Stein cracks open a Joyhound JJ Sour, I have here the Joyhound Foggy Harbor Double Dry Hopped Hazy Pale Ale. And so real quick, you may have seen Joyhound over the last like week, two weeks or so, all over. Uh, I think every Whole Foods and Trader Joe's in the city now has large displays. And so shout out to Alfred, the owner, proprietor, operator of Joyhound for getting that done, putting in the work, and also for the DC Beer legal correspondent, Greg Parnas, for facilitating beer delivery, the Joyhound beers. Nicely done, Greg. Good job. Shout out to Greg. Love yeah. you, boo. Um, <laughs> disclosure, I did not pay one red cent for this beer. So thank you, Alfred. Thank you, Greg. Or, or if you did pay for it, thanks, whomever comped us this beer. Yeah, since we're also reporting this on our itemized deductions now, um, I also did not pay for this beer. And that is a friendly <laughs> reminder to anyone, whether you are a commercial brewery or a home brewer, you can certainly give me beer. And I... We'll certainly whore it out for social media cred, for the gram, for Twitter, for Facebook, and for Wait, a podcast I'm the shout poor out. one here. Y'all need to give me free beer. <laughs> All I right. Make, you hear that? I'm poor. <laughs> give Brandy beer. <laughs> Brandy drinks beer. And to be fair, she's her sick, social media. She's poor. She, give her the beer, no. people. Help her Instagram poor. game is so much better than yours, Jake. Not it to bash you, Jake. Much, but. much Jake better. Jake doesn't even have Instagram. If ever you see a substandard photo on the gram, on the DC Beer account, 
on our grid, just know it's Jake or my shitty photography skills. It is not Brandy's beautiful photo. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mike. I'm pretty good yeah. at the photographs. I did take all the distilleries photographs for six years and was in the Washingtonian and the Going Off Guide. And you got all kinds of media cred. Yeah. Well, due. I didn't get credit because that's how that worked. But anyway. Yeah. Well, my pictures are on my mom's fridge, and she says that I do a great job and that I'm special. Uh, so. But you don't have an Instagram, right, Jake? You just do correct. Twitter. I, I, okay. I am on the Twitters. Um, I do have access to DCB Instagram. And if you see something you don't like there, it's probably me and not Brandy. So don't come for her. Come for me. Don't come at me. And yeah. Mike is at Lost Loggers, which I at love. At Lost Loggers. Yeah. Give us a follow and follow yeah. DC Beer. But we do want to get back to uh, Joyhound for a moment. Joyhound. Tell us about Joyhound, Jake. They are brewed at PSA Brewery. And you might think to yourself, what's that? That's the Pratt Street Ale House. But it's not oh, the Pratt shit. Street Ale House that's down Baltimore. like town Baltimore. Right. Yeah. Baltimore. It's brewed by Oliver Ales uh, out 895, which is a lovely day trip. You can m- hit multiple breweries like you're on this side, DC side of 895. You can hit Guinness Heavy Seas, get an 895, go through the tunnel, and then you can get hit like Dewclaw and Oliver Ales. So Oliver Ales does a fair amount of contract brewing. Mike, you mentioned Sankofa. We can also mention Soul Mega, as well as Joyhound's black-owned contract breweries. And so at some point I was like, we should have a conversation about how the far majority, if not the entirety, of black-owned breweries in this area are using the contract brewing model. Yeah. So I think the time for that conversation is, let me check my watch now. <laughs> what, what, what we wanted to talk about was that um, this model, you know, effectively, let's say, you know, you're a, you're a black-owned brewery and you contract with Berg Brewing Company. I'm just going to use Jake's name. And then Berg Brewing Company makes the beer, but then your black-owned brewery sells the beer in market. You know, you are in charge of recipe design, of label creation, of label approval, right? You you submit to the TTB. If you're selling across state lines, you get your cola. All this approval and all these rules and regulations. You know, brewing is heavily regulated. But I think overall, it's a great model to have black-owned breweries being produced at other breweries because it gets more small businesses into the beer world. Two, it promotes black-owned breweries, which the last number I saw nationally is that under 1%. You know, we have over 8,000 breweries in the United States. Under 1% are black-owned. And I have to give credit where it's due. In D.C., I I was covering D.C.'s black-owned breweries for the Reporter's Notebook in May 2020, last May, And I wrote, in 2011, the district got its first black-owned brewery, Chocolate City, which closed in 2014. Today, two of the city's 10 breweries, fully 20%, are black-owned. Nationally, black-owned breweries are closer to 1%. So granted, we've had uh, other half and city-state open, so we have more than that many breweries in D.C. right now. But still, we are way above the national average. There's a third black-owned brewery that's scheduled to come online or is up and running and should have product soon. But I love the contract brewing model because if you look at craft beer history, you know, all of the now big breweries did it, like Boston Beer. Everybody knows Boston Lager, Sam Adams. That's how Sam Adams was born. You know, it's how a lot of American craft breweries were born. And it should be the same right now. 
So we can look at DC and see we've made great progress and still know we have way more progress to go to try to bring more equity to have black owned breweries represented and a greater number both locally and nationally. You mentioned a third there, Stein. You want to tease that out a little bit? I could. Are we talking about Smith Golden Rule and what Miles is working on up in Columbia Heights, which is going to incorporate um, various forms of alcohol, some that you can drink, like liquor and beer. He already has a collab out with Atlas. And some you can't, like Smith Golden Rule hand sanitizer. Again, don't drink that. It'll get you sick. I was not referring to that. I was actually talking about EarthTap Brewing Company. So I follow EarthTap on some social media platforms, but according to Jeff Allworth's Diverse Breweries Database, so Jeff Allworth runs the Beervana blog. He worked with Ruvani Da Silva, and you know her as Amethyst Heels on social media platforms. They put together... Uh, the Diverse Breweries Database. And so they're actually tracking breweries throughout, you know, the 50 states in D.C. by their makeup, be it Black-owned, women-owned, Latino-owned, Asian-owned, LGBTQ, or Indigenous. Those are the six sort of headers in the database. And in D.C., there's three. There's three listed in D.C. There's Sankofa, Solmega, and Earth Tap. And Ronald Hodges is listed as the owner so, Ronald Hodges, if you're listening right now, give us a shout. We'd love to have you on the show. I guess I'm going to go over to the Googles and uh, start sleuthing <laughs> this up. I'll put on my beer journalism hat. So, we know that Diverse Breweries Database isn't complete, but it's important that it's started. Um, because if we don't start tracking this stuff, we'll never know where we're going. You know, for example, the first black-owned brewery opens with Chocolate City in D.C. in uh, 2011. It's so crazy to me that 2011 was literally the first Black-owned brewery in D.C. history. I mean, that's that's just absolutely insane. I mean, it was also the first D.C. brewery since... 1956. 56. Correct. Eric and Foggy Bottom, and, right? And so it's Brow and then Chocolate City literally weeks later. Absolutely. Yeah, there was a race to see who would open first. D.C. Brow was first out of the gate, then Chocolate City opened... And then the following spring, Three Stars was open. Yeah, but it's it's really interesting when you think about the history of American brewing. And I'm going way back to uh, colonial times to prior to the ratification of the Constitution. There were black brewers in D.C.'s first brewery. There was a black brewer, a man named Wilkes. And Wilkes was an enslaved man who worked at Andrew Wales Brewery. And Andrew Wales was the first brewer in D.C. history. So we know that African-Americans, that there have been black brewers since the first commercial brewery in Washington, D.C. Why weren't there any black-owned breweries since 2011? And the answer, unfortunately, is white supremacy. Effectively, these spaces have been policed and have been exclusionary, and, and black folks have been kept out until now. And we're starting to see this change with Sankofa and Solmega, but we want to see more of it. And that's, that's the power of the Diverse Breweries database. We want to track this. We want to see the growth. We want that good growth to continue. So shout out to Jeff and Ruvani for tracking that. I want to note for our exurban Loudoun County listeners that what Mike is talking about here is not critical race theory, although it certainly may incorporate some elements of that. And so you need not like freak out and turn off the podcast. Although you can certainly write me 
and us a TCB or an angry letter, and I will read it and laugh. So much so until I cry, and then I'll turn those tears into delicious, delicious beer. My issue here is that I like the contract model as an incubator the same way I do in terms of ghost kitchens. Again, and we see a fair amount of Black-owned startups operating out of places like Mess Hall or Saver just across the line over in Brentwood, Mount Rainier, in PG County, places like that. But at some point, what I also want to see is, and Mike, you mentioned Sam Adams. I mean, now Sam Adams has this lovely Jamaica Plain brewing facility. Brooklyn Brewing does a fair amount of their quote-unquote normal beer, your Brooklyn lager and your porters and IPAs and those sorts of things up in Utica, New York. But there's an actual physical Brooklyn brewery. And at some point, like I want to see this for the Black-owned breweries too, if Kofi at Sankofa, if Elliot at Soul Mega, if Ronald Hodges uh, at EarthTap, if they want to, I want them to have the same access to land, to capital, to property as the 8,000 or so other white-owned breweries. And that's where we're talking about systemic issues. You know, whether you want to call it racism or not, access to loans, ability to get, you know, high dollar, high value loans, what the loan repayments like, if you need things financially that are easy for one subsection of would-be brewer owners to get, and they're not there for another, you have to look at the system and say, it's not working. It's not equitable. Let's make it work. Brandy, I wanted to ask you your take, you know, specifically on Black-owned breweries, on Black brewers, on African-Americans who just love beer. What's your take on that? Well, I got into the beer game late. I say game, but... Um, the beer, the love for beer late, later than you guys. And when I did get into it, I frequented Atlas, you know, because I worked at a distillery down the street. And every time I'd go to Atlas, there was always Jamal behind the bar. And I don't know if you guys know Jamal. He's amazing. But I don't think I paid attention too much at that point how many white people <laughs> there were. Um, who own and work at breweries. I really, I don't, I guess I just didn't focus on it. But when I sat down and had a conversation with Jamal, it really opened my eyes. And I went to a high school where I was one of the only few white people there. So I grew up around a lot of people of color. And being in DC is a nice, you know, mix for me because I went away from the South to get away from racism. And there's racism everywhere, unfortunately. But I have been really lucky to have interactions and conversations with people of color who work at breweries. And I think having those connections and that conversation and me walking in and seeing faces of people of color just makes it more inviting. And when I talk to Jamal about it and Ricardo, it's awkward for them sometimes, I think, but... I think they're just so comfortable and confident with who they are, meaning themselves in the beer world. And I think that once we as beer drinkers and beer brewery owners and such get to the point where we start seeing more people of color and women in breweries and owning breweries, then it's going to be normal. Like it's, 
everything is slow and it's frustrating, but thank goodness, like I know Kofi now. Kofi's so fucking cool. I love Kofi. (laughs) He's so awesome. And I'm so happy for him, but he is helping lead the way. And I'm more of like personal, like interactions, you know, it's important for me to see more people of color going to breweries, like even just drinking at breweries, not owning breweries per se, you know, like there is always such a diverse crowd at Hellbender and Red Bear. And it makes my heart so happy because most people walk in, they expect to see a whole bunch of white people drinking beer, but that's not the case. So I think we are going to move forward. Mike Lestort, during his interview, said he wants to focus on adding more inclusion about beer education and having more people of color join the homebrew club. You know, it's just little things. It's little things, but we're going to get there. And I think it's great that there are more Black-owned breweries, obviously. (laughs) Like, there needs to be more. Um, And we'll get there. I mean, I I just said everything that everybody else probably agrees with, so. Agreed. I'm, like, I'm glad you brought up Mike, but I'm also glad you brought up Jamal, because I think yeah. this gives us a chance to plug the work, some behind-the-scenes work that our own Mike Stein did with Good Beer Hunting. He and Pete Jones, in conjunction with, is it Brian Albert? Yeah, Dr. Brian Alberts. Dr. Brian Alberts worked with Jamal, who grew up in Charleston, as you may or may not know, this was discussed on the DC Beer Show um, towards the end of 2020, early 2021, when we had Jamal on, sort of uncovering Charleston's beer scene and how it's really a microcosm of craft beer and beer overall, and that having beer carved out as a white space was something that was made. It was the product of unintentional and intentional choices and decisions. Sometimes coming out and saying something is like a social construct is glib. Just because something's socially constructed, it doesn't mean it's easy to unmake. But I think it's certainly worth trying to unmake in this case. Yeah, absolutely. So myself and Pete Jones and Dr. Brian Alberts supported Jamal in his research. So if you go to goodbeerhunting.com, you can see the three essays we wrote together. We did three podcasts about it. But Basically, what we found out was that what is likely the first commercial brewery in Charleston history had black brewers. There were eight enslaved brewers that worked under Edmund Egan. Edmund Egan was the white owner. He was an immigrant from London. So we know that there were black people at the start of Charleston's commercial beer history. But to this day, there are no black owned breweries in South Carolina. There are none in Charleston. There's none in South Carolina. And Jamal zero that we have tracked i know it's 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 mind it's mind-blowing what the Um, fuck right like dc is 63 square miles right it's not that big (laughs) charleston like is a bigger city in terms of square mileage and south carolina is a whole state it's a whole ass state and so you know what we found with jamal was that At one point in time, there were German immigrants serving African-Americans beer in Charleston. And effectively, we found these court records from like 1858, where all of these, they were called grocers, all these grocery owners were getting fined for serving black drinkers. And there was a great festival called the Schutzenfest. It was a German rifle club. 
And that German Rifle Club went from a grounds, a sort of festive grounds, to an event that after the Civil War really enforced white supremacy, kind of barring black participants, barring African Americans from uh, drinking beer, serving beer, selling wares at the festival. And it's kind of a microcosm of how beer became white. Because when we look at the beer landscape today, you go into a tap room and in, in, in a typical American city, you know, thankfully we're, we're lucky to have a different scene in DC, but it's overwhelmingly pale and male. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Like when you walk into certain breweries you're in DC, you're like, oh, it's more diverse than it would be when you go travel other places. Exactly. To somewhere else. Right. And yeah. you're like, oh, this is like really, it's really bro This is like really pale and male. Right. And that is kind of not, it's not really an accident. It's kind of by design in that black folks have been excluded from brewery ownership, right? And that gets into systemic racism. But we were studying Charleston, South Carolina, and as one specific city, the Schutzenfest as one specific event that really transformed from German Americans being progressive, believing in equality, to kind of immigrants assimilating and believing that white supremacy was white culture and it should be exclusionary towards African-Americans. So yeah, shout out to Jamal Lemon. We love you, Jamal. <laughs> Thank you for all you do for our scene and to make it better. I feel like at this point you would think, so Jake, is there going to be a guest on DC Beer Show today? And the answer is no, there's not going to be a guest. It's just <laughs> us. Which extra sucks because I, well, I came on thinking that I sounded like Fran Drescher from The Nanny. <laughs> and and the guys, they were like, well, no. you sound more Margish. And I'm like, well, I'll take Marge Simpson. That's great. <laughs> but of course, of all the weeks that we don't have a guest, you have to hear my voice more. And I apologize. <laughs> one... But you get to hear Mike Stein and Jake's beautiful, yes. smooth voices. That's right. It's Love been said a. I have a face for radio. So there's not a face for podcasting. Good thing we're podding and not radioing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although uh, we all look at each other. I do want to throw out a couple other, I think, tidbits. Give us the news. We teased Smoke and Barrel on the Sovereign reopening. Smoke and Barrel opened by the time our last podcast two weeks ago launched. The Sovereign is opening, we record this on Tuesday, they're opening tomorrow night on Wednesday. Our very own publisher, Richard Fawal, was able to go check it out. I was also able to go check it out, which is super cool because that was the first Taras Bulba, sub 5% um, Belgian pale ale, super dry, crisp, attenuated, hoppy, that I had had in like 18 months. And so it's good to have them back. Also, it is the darkest fucking bar restaurant in dc and <laughs> is. i feel like the last that and church key they're both very dark yeah, you are a vampire there's something about this these, these nrg restaurants <laughs> and like the last 18 you know like really like the last like 16 months of my life has been spent staring at a screen because i'm now working via zoom and a laptop with a vpn and it may have done something to my eyesight because as old age does, because now I'm the person using like a cell phone flashlight and holding the menu at various angles and degrees to figure out what to look at and get. But it's really easy to walk into the sovereign and just be like, Terrace Bulba. It's good to, <laughs> yeah. it's good to be back. That was actually one of my last outings I had with uh, Richard before the pandemic hit in March. We went back and... January was freezing, literally freezing rain. And we had 
a fun outing. We went to the Sovereign, and I never go to Georgetown. I fucking hate Georgetown. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. No, but no, no, no. Like Georgetown- I was like, let's go to the Sovereign. I was like, uh, I don't yeah, want yeah. not, not, not because I want to go to the Sovereign, because I don't <laughs> want to go to Georgetown. Can I just like teleport there? <laughs> Into this bar stool at Sovereign. Uh, like, yeah, the Christian. Sovereign. The Sovereign makes a Georgetown trip worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the only reason I would go. Yeah. <laughs> shout, shout out to Tim Liu for stocking the wonderful classics. Terrace Bulba. That draft beer just hits different, right? Like, oh my god. Yeah, and to poor Greg Anger who has to like toggle on Amtrak between New York and DC this week, opening up Lower East Side's Grand Delancey, the Essex Street Market and the Market Line is like fully, fully reopening the day after the Sovereign reopens. And so I hope he gets his frequent flyer or frequent train rider points, miles, whatever. Shout out to everybody cleaning draft lines. I will buy you a beer. Let me know. Holler at us at DC Beer on social media platforms. I'm poor. Brandy's poor, but we will straight up buy you a beer. Keep those draft lines <laughs> sparkling. Yeah, and we yes. should we, we should note here that DC's preeminent draft line cleaners have all fled for greener pastures. Tim Prendergast, formerly of Meridian Pine and Ancho, is now in Milwaukee. And Naheem Simon, formerly of Liquid Integrity and um, NRG, even going back to the Briskeller, just moved to Hawaii. And so if there are draft line Get issues... Those are two mm-hmm. people you probably can't call, or you can, but they can't <laughs> help you. Though I guess at least Tim is like two-hour, three-hour plane ride away. Naheem and his family are now in Hawaii hanging out with Garrett et al. at Maui Brewing Company. You bastards. Just add us. Let us know you're keeping your lines pristine, and we will buy you a beer. Oh, yeah. We'll know. Uh, <laughs> no, no, really, really, we will know. Um, Believe that. Yeah, I have been. Yeah. I have been to a few places, and I'm not going to call them out. But no naming names. Y'all, y'all need to get with your shit. Yeah, <laughs> Brandy, like, Brandy no, will let you. you know. I didn't finish my beer, and if I don't finish my beer, something's wrong. So, yeah, something's wrong. Yeah. If you've ever had like a loose cannon. And it tastes like it's kind of been like run through like a sack of pennies, like at some unnamed places I've been. That's not on heavy seas. We like loose cannon. That's on dirty, dirty draft lines. So as we return to dining in and such things, uh, please, please, please keep that in mind. Keep the lines clean. Speaking of dining in, all the bars are opening. Like you can sit at a bar. It's wild. It's weird. It's, it's wild. so weird. It's so <laughs> weird. But I, I'm like, I'm not gonna lie. I've done it a couple times. But it, the bar was slow. It wasn't busy. It wasn't a busy place because I wouldn't do that. What I do hope is that with mask wearing during COVID, that even in the future when we get sick, people wear their mask out. I really hope that that sticks because even though I'm fully vaxxed, I've been wearing my mask everywhere because I have a head cold. I want to be respectful. I'm so on board with you, Brandy. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think especially for those of us who are immunocompromised, we all really appreciate it if you are just even a little sniffly, if you're covering up, shout out to you, credit to you. I will be doing it and I know others will be too. Well, we should. It's silly. Like we should, you know, continue. Um, and I hate that we're going to have another backlash, but you know, whatever. It's We knew it was going to happen. Speaking for all of us here at DC Beer and the DC Beer Show, like we want DC Beer Week and we want Snally. 
Yes, don't, please. Don't fuck this up for us people. Like, yes. Get, get vaxxed if you haven't. Wear a mask. We haven't talked about DC Beer Week. Yeah, yeah. We so, should, um, which, let's hint at it at least a little bit. September 19th to September 26th. Put it on your calendars. Will there be another Battle of the Barrels at Boundary Stone? There better I mean, be. That's the that's the event. That's my favorite event. That and Brewers on the Block. I always right. love Brewers on the Block Brewers too. Nice Battle outdoor event. Might yeah. Church Key be open for a fifty-five taps tap takeover Ooh. by then? Maybe oh, we'll me. see. I could tease that. Yeah. Maybe there are going to be time frames or something. Mm. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I could see that. You know, like it makes that. sense to me. <laughs> There's a bunch of stuff up our sleeves, starting planning in the works. So stay tuned. Follow us yeah. on all social media platforms, and we'll tell you what's going on for DC Beer Week. Stein, that was an excellent way to end the show. And I say, <laughs> on that note, at DC Beer across the socials, drink beer, drink local, tip big, be safe, be well. And next time you hear us, we'll actually have a guest, and there won't be so much of our lovely voices. Hey, I usually have a fairly nice voice, so don't don't call me out, man. <laughs> Love you guys. Bye, Love everybody. you. Adios, amigos. Bye, DC Beer fam. Mwah.